your Bibles and turn with us to the book of John, the book of John, Gospel of John, according to John. What are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to be looking at John today, and uh, we'll be looking at John the next few weeks. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but those of you who have been in the daily Bible reading, the Old Testament ends in January, and the New Testament ends in January. So if you've been with us, you've been through the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament, and um, we continue to cycle through the Proverbs and the Psalms. And uh, we're going to keep going with that. We're going to keep doing that. But this is a perfect opportunity for us to change what we're doing at the moment. Instead of picking a passage of Scripture that uh, deals with a particular book that we're going through. Uh, We're in the Gospel of John this week and next week, but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to settle into the Gospel of John. There are 21 chapters here. We still have some overview to do. We're going to settle in and slow down a bit so that we can digest the Gospel of John for the next few weeks. And then leading up to Christmas, we have a beautiful section that John wrote in his first epistle for a a great Christmas message. So we just want you to be aware of that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We ask in your precious name that you would guide us and direct us through your word today. May we be encouraged. May we be challenged. May we see that there are great answers or reasons for our faith. And Father, we pray that you would change the world in our generation with the truth of your word. Jesus, it's in your most precious name that we pray these things. Amen. All right. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1 in the New Testament. I want to um, introduce this to you for just a second or two. When I was in college and seminary, we used to, you know, you got, when you go to a Christian college, you've got to be on gospel teams, and um, on those gospel teams share the gospel practically everywhere. So we would go to malls, and we would share the gospel, and we'd go to the beach and share the gospel since my dormitory was on the beach. We would, uh, when I was in seminary in Philadelphia, we would go to parks, we would go to uh, universities. We would go to um, all kinds of places to share the gospel. And I was so naive because I believed back then that everybody knew who Christ was. I thought if you just asked the average person who's Jesus, they would tell you. But you could stand in front of a lot of people and ask that question. They say, I don't know who he is. You know, and uh, we use his name in vain quite a bit in this country, so I just assumed that everybody had some idea. But that was not the case. And it dawned on me back then, and as the case today, that every generation needs to be introduced to Christ. You can't, you can't assume that the last generation that introduced uh, that generation to Christ is good enough for this generation. We have to continue to introduce Christ to every new generation. And so, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people would look at the Gospel of John and they would say, oh, I know the Gospel very, very well. 
I probably don't need to spend a whole lot of time going through the Gospel of John. Well, what's really neat and so important about the Gospel of John is the fact that we have someone here who is able to give to us detailed information about not only what the gospel is, but how to share the gospel with others. And so it's very, very important for us to look at this no matter what your age is. Let me give you an illustration of this. Turn to chapter 1, verse 35. Chapter 1, verse 35. In verse 35, fourth, fifth word in, the Bible says, John stood with two of his disciples. Now, that's John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Christ. He stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, everybody together, Behold the Lamb of God. Sharing the gospel. All he's saying is to these disciples, behold the Lamb of God. There are so many things that we can do to share the gospel, to whet people's appetites, to get people to think, to bring them to Christ. And we're so reluctant to do it in, in so many ways and in, with so many people because we don't realize that it should come naturally. And so he introduces Jesus to these two disciples, and he sure says a mouthful when he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Because there's the gospel, there's the, there's the substitutionary atonement of Christ right there, if you're theologically mined. And the two disciples heard him speak, and what did they end up doing? They ended up following Jesus. Now, we assume that one of those two disciples was actually John, the author of this book. The other one shows up down below. So Jesus turned, seeing them follow him, in verse 38, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day, and now it was about the tenth hour of the day, late afternoon, moving on toward evening. And one of the two who heard John speak was Andrew, and Andrew had a brother, and Andrew's brother was what? Simon Peter. And the Bible says that he did what? He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. We have found the one that if I were to give you a theme for some of these messages in John would be, Why is Jesus the greatest hope for mankind? The Jews understood that Jesus was going to be the greatest hope for mankind because they recognized him they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but they knew a Messiah was coming who was going to make right everything that was wrong. Who was going to undo the curse that was put on the earth back in Genesis. Who was going to make sure that peace flowed like a river. Who was going to make sure that the nations would worship the Lord. And, and they understood that. 
They understood that. And so the Bible says that Andrew went and he found his brother Peter. And he said, listen, we have found the Messiah. We spent all day with him. We talked with him. And we're convinced that he is the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. Now, that isn't the end of it. Take a look at the very next few verses, verse 43 and following. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the same city as Andrew and Peter. Now, without going into the details of this passage of Scripture, can you see that what is happening here is that People who know other people are sharing the gospel with them. Relatives, friends, colleagues. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. No, you know, I, I remember the story of how many remember the cross and the switchblade, which was a story about um, 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 Nikki Cruz and uh, Pastor Wilkerson. Uh, he lived in Pennsylvania, farming community. He had, a, he, had a, he, had a, he had a strong desire to go to New York City and share the gospel in New York City. And so he was scared to death to do it. He didn't know what to do. He prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And then he drove his car to New York City every weekend. And he would park his car on the street. And he would, he would get out and he would walk the streets of New York, scared to death to share the gospel with anybody. And the whole time praying that the Lord would eventually give him an opportunity to do that. But God's not asking us to do that. God wanted him to do that. But he wants us to share the gospel with our family. He wants us to share the gospel with our parents. He wants us to share the gospel with our children. He wants to share the, us to share the gospel with our neighbors and our people we work with and our friends. That's what he's asking us to do. So the Bible says that Jesus found Philip in verse 43. Philip was from the same city as Andrew and Peter. Philip went out and found Nathanael in verse 45 and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel argued with him a little bit, not really argued, but said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, why don't you come and see? I'll show you. I'll show you. And the Bible says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and he said, behold, can any Israelite indeed, behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. This guy has a heart that's ready for the gospel. But that's the way it works, you see. Who's going to go out and share the gospel, you see? God wants all of us to do it. And God doesn't, hasn't made it really that difficult. We make it more difficult. Now, I just want to say this to you before we look at uh, an illustration or two. Um, one of my favorite teen Bibles is the... Teen Life Application Study Bible. And um, the, reason th the reason I like the Teen Life Application Study Bible is because it is filled with personal stories of teenagers in their struggles, in their moral issues, in their struggles with the gospel, sharing it. And Jeff has uh, an interesting story to tell. Uh, Jeff 
is, um, if I can find it, should have put a marker there. But Jeff says, here's my story. He says, my grandmother was in the hospital. I heard my mom telling someone on the phone that the doctors weren't sure whether grandma would make it. Things looked pretty serious. I went to my room feeling agitated. As far as I knew, grandmother didn't know that Jesus died for our sins. I had always wanted to tell her, but how would I do it? I felt so unsure of myself. What would I say? Would she even listen to me? I prayed about this for quite a while. I knew God would want my grandmother to hear what, that God loves her and, and is offering to save her for all eternity. I tried to think through what I could say to her. Then I started reading my Bible. And as I was reading my Bible, and he was in the book of Philippians, the 13th verse in the fourth chapter, he said, it leaped out at me. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I believed that God was assuring me that I would know what to say to my grandmother. I went to the hospital. I told my grandmother about Jesus. She listened and later accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. One week later, she died. But I know she is with the Lord now. You see, John's a perfect gospel to kind of get us to, get, get us to warm up to sharing the gospel with other people. And I, I want you to, uh, let me just give you a couple of quick facts before we look at some illustrations here for just a moment. You see, because the question is not just who's going to share their gospel, all of us have the responsibility. Our Sunday school teachers have the responsibility. I have the responsibility. Uh, and all of us have the responsibility. Whatever hat we're wearing at the time, but you also have to answer the question, what are you going to say? Now, John, John is the last disciple alive. All of the other disciples are gone. It's almost like John has all of the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, sitting in front of him, and he's asking the question, because the Holy Spirit is really, really prompting him to do this, saying, I need to fill in some cracks there's a whole new generation of people out there, and already people are starting to deny that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh. And it's almost like God wants me to fill in the cracks. The Jerusalem temple had already been destroyed, 70 AD. The Jewish people had been decimated. And here is John. Here is John saying, let me give you some information that you may not be aware of in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let me give you some information to clarify and strengthen your faith that what Matthew, Mark, and Luke say is absolutely true. Let me prove it to you that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what he does. Now, listen. When you read in the Bible all of the identification of Jesus, you're going to read from a human perspective because Jesus is God-man. You're going to read that Jesus is the son of Joseph. You're going to read that Jesus is the, 
is of Nazareth, the city of Nazareth. He's the son of man. And all of these connect Jesus to human relationships. And we, we get to see that Jesus is as human as we are, except without any sin. When you read John, you're going to see the connection between Jesus and his heavenly Father in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but the more we know about Jesus, the sweeter our fellowship with him becomes. The more we know about his relationship with the Father, the sweeter our fellowship with uh, the Father and the Son becomes. Surely you're aware of that now in your lifetime. And so it's critical for us to know the book of John. You know, Jesus claimed to be eternal with the Father. Jesus claimed to be equal with the Father. Jesus claimed to be in total agreement with God about everything. He was so tight in his relationship with the Father that aside from the fact that the Father is always mentioned first in Scripture and the Son mentioned second, you wouldn't know there's any difference between the two. And you shouldn't. Because Jesus and the Father are one. They are God Almighty. But you see, the thing that you and I need to keep in mind is the only distinction we can really see is when Jesus comes and takes on the form of man and we see him as incarnation. Then we see him in subjection to his father. Then we see him saying, the father is greater than I am. You see, the kind of an attitude that we need to have and one that he is modeling for us. See the point? See the point? Now, I don't know if that is good for you or that just makes it harder for you, but I want you to go back to chapter 1 for just a second, and I want to remind you in verse 34 that when John the Baptist gives his personal testimony, the one thing he is certain, absolutely sure of, in, uh, uh, let me just say this, in verse 29, which we did not read, the Bible says that Jesus came toward John the Baptist and he said, behold the Lamb of God. And then he said it again in verse 35. But in his personal testimony about Jesus, what does he say in verse 34? What does John the Baptist say? He says, I have seen and testify that this is what? The Son of God. That's the first thing we need to understand about Jesus. You know, he came and he looked fully human and was fully human, but we needed to understand that it's not just Jesus in human form that saves us. It's the God-man because Jesus had to be God in order to save us. First thing is, recognize who Jesus is, and he certainly is the Son of God. Nathaniel in chapter 1, verse 49 Nathaniel in chapter 1, verse 13 and 49, when Jesus has his personal conversation with Nathaniel, Nathaniel understands that Jesus now is omniscient, meaning he also has to be omnipresent. He knows everything. He sees everything. And Nathaniel then in his testimony says to Jesus in verse 49, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are, everybody together, the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, let me go back to when I was in college and seminary for just a second, and we would go out and we'd go share the gospel on the beach or go to a mall or go to a university. It's critical 
for people to know that. If you want to test this, you go out on the street and you ask 100 people who Jesus is. And if they can't give an answer, ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And they'll say, what's that? That doesn't make sense to me. A lot of people will say that to you. They don't know. It's critical for us to share that because look at how many testimonies we have in God's Word where that is the case. Let's look at the sixth chapter of John just briefly here. The sixth chapter of John. In the sixth chapter of John, it's Peter now who gets to give his testimony to who Christ is. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Jesus had walked on the sea. The only two miracles, by the way, that are duplicated in all four Gospels. And the Bible tells us now that Jesus gives that wonderful bread from heaven discourse. You know what a discourse is? A sermon. And he's sharing that and he's telling people, you know what? Symbolically, in order for you to be connected to me, you need to eat my body. People couldn't understand it. They'd often say to physical things, I don't understand what he's talking about. I don't know where he's coming from. And the Bible says in John chapter 6, and I want you to see this, in John chapter 6 verse 60, therefore many of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? They're starting to get a little bit concerned about what Jesus is saying because they don't understand it. And then the Bible comes, uh, Jesus comes right out in verse 30, 65, and he says, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. He's been talking about this new covenant that Jesus is presenting to us. We see it in communion every time we do communion. But he says, listen, not only that, but you can't even come to me unless the Father draws you. And what does it say in verse 66? From that time, many of his disciples did what? Went back and walked with him no more. Isn't that scary? Did you ever think that could happen to you? Did you ever wonder if that's happening to others that you know who have kind of lost interest in in the spiritual things? Have you ever wondered about that? You see, it's why it's important for us to understand who Jesus really is. And so Jesus even confronts them with that. Did you know, Jesus said to his disciples, his 12 and 67, he says, do you also want to go away? You guys got to go away too. And Simon Peter speaks for all of them, but Simon Peter answered him and says, what? Everybody together, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, also, we're going to stick with you because we have come to believe and know that you are what? Christ, the Son of the living God. One other illustration, a couple other quick illustrations. You already know the one in John chapter 11 where Martha and Mary are grieving because Lazarus had died. You're all familiar with that passage of Scripture where Jesus stays at Jericho for a while and Lazarus dies and he's buried. Martha was hoping that Jesus would actually come to Bethany and heal Lazarus from his illness, but that didn't happen. And so when Jesus meets with the sisters, the Bible tells us in chapter 11, verse 27, in his discussion with Martha specifically, 
After saying, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live, and he who lives and believes in me shall never die. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the what? Son of God. I believe it. I believe it. Let's look at another quick illustration that's very close to this. The words are a little different, but you'll remember that doubting Thomas, one of the twelve, wasn't in the upper room the night of the resurrection. He showed up a week later. You'll remember he had had problems and said, if I don't get to see the risen, if I don't put my hand, I touch this guy and know that he is alive, I'm not going to believe. And you'll remember Jesus shows up the second Sunday night. And you'll remember that he confronts Thomas and he invites Thomas to put his hands to, to see that he has the prints of the nails in his hands and, and, uh, and to see his side. And you'll remember, what, uh, you'll remember what Thomas said in verse 28. Thomas answered the Lord and said, you are my Lord and you are my God. I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God. John, in the very next two verses, when he writes and he says, I've written this, my purpose has been knowing that Jesus has done many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book or in the Gospels, other Gospels, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is what? the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So keep in mind these two simple points. Number one, keep in mind that John has written the gospel to prove to us who Jesus is. That makes it apologetic. And number two, God has written a gospel through John to share evangelistically the truth of the gospel with the world, a new generation that needs to hear the truth. Now, I don't know. If that doesn't inspire us to really want to dig deep into the gospel of John, I don't know what will. I do not know what will. Now, Jesus himself, this is my last passage of scripture. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10 in the Good Shepherd passage, the one that was read earlier today that the praise team linked to the music, they were singing for us. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 36, and uh, the Jews want to stone Jesus. They don't understand who he is. Jesus confronts them with that. The Jews question him and say, the problem we have with you is you are making yourself God. End of verse 33. You are making yourself God. They don't understand the nature of Christ. Jesus answered them and said, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God... We don't want to get into the theology of this, but just keep in mind that, listen, whatever the Bible teaches cannot be broken. If you don't believe in me, believe in my works. Take a look at what I do to see if I identify who I am. And the Bible says in verse 36, Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? 
Because I said, I am what? The Son of God? You're going to accuse me of blasphemy because I claim to be the Son of God and I prove it to you? Think about it. Meditate on the truth of God's Word. Come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God and He proves Himself to be. And then accept the text of Scripture that invites us to come to Christ. You know, if you, don't, you and I don't do that, we're going to be kind of like the Jews who, who uh, taunted Jesus and mocked Jesus at the crucifixion. Oh, he said he was the Son of God. But we don't look at it that way. Listen, that's going to be a generation of people if we don't introduce the generation that we're living in to Christ. That's what's going to happen. So go back to John 3. I, oh, I said I wouldn't give you any other scripture. I'm not, I'm not asking you to look at this specifically because uh, this is next week. But I want you to remember what God says in John chapter 3, verse 16. Now we can repeat this together. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him his son, should not perish, but have everlasting life. We've got a lot to say, don't we? And we've got a lot of people to say it to. Amen? Amen. Okay, so stick with us in the Gospel of John, and you'll probably come up with some great ways to share the Gospel with others as we do that. All right, let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that as we have continued to introduce the Gospel of John, that you would Continue to whet our appetites for what we're reading. And I ask in your precious name that you would just open our hearts so that we can, in a casual way, in a very conversational way, taking advantage of opportunities that just pop up all over the place, to share your truth in whatever way you give us the opportunity to do it. In Jesus, your most precious and holy and righteous name, we pray. Amen.